for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Well, good morning. I am going to be preaching today out of Acts chapter 10. And I'm going to preach the whole chapter. There's like 40-something verses in it. Uh, The first part, admittedly, in summation. And I want to talk to you about finding truth. And so if you're taking notes, I have a couple words of recommendation for you. One, pay attention, because this message is the only message that can truly change your life. Um, I hear people all the time. Matter of fact, I heard it yesterday. Somebody was talking about a pillow. And I said, man, this pillow changed my life. Wrong. Only Jesus has the ability to change your life. Other things can make you comfortable. But only Jesus has the ability to change your life. Amen? Amen. So not only is there an opportunity for life change, but there's an opportunity for us who have had our lives changed to become cleaner and more pure and more reverent toward the things that have been done for us and our responsibility to those things. I am going to very pointedly or try very pointedly to preach a message today that equips you, empowers you, and by the power of the Holy Spirit has the ability to pull you out of judgment and into heaven in relationship with God. And so take notes because I'm going to prove what I'm telling to you in scripture, a lot of scripture today. And I'm not going to go and actually read a lot of them. I'm just going to give you the address. and I want you to write them down. More importantly, I want you to prove me wrong. If you can, we'll talk about it. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is the truth we're finding. Amen. Amen. I want to read to you out of chapter 10 of, of Acts. It's about the story of Cornelius and Peter. And although I'm not actually going to read the first 33 verses, I am going to talk to you about Cornelius. Cornelius was from Caesarea, and it says in verse 1 and 2, he says, Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. That means battalion. A devout man. What was he? Devout man. One who feared God with all his household, which means he feared God and led his household to fear God. Gave many alms. And just so you know, there's a difference between alms and offerings. Offerings are brought into the house. Alms are acts of ministry done for people as you see a need. So he recognized need and the people that were around him and met those needs. And prayed to God continuously. Man, it sounds like Cornelius had it together, right? Let me read those again. He was devout reverential, led his home well, gave, and prayed to God continuously. Here's the first truth I want you to know. Cornelius was still going to hell. You're all, wait a minute, that don't sound right. He prayed to God, says he loved him, he reverenced him. He gave to people. He was in constant prayer. How could he go to hell? Because Cornelius still didn't understand the one thing he had to understand in order to be removed from hell and be in relationship with God, and that is the name of Jesus. 
because the Bible says in Acts 4.12 that there's no other name in heaven or on earth that can cause you to be saved except for what? Except for Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. And so although he did all the stuff, Although we do all the stuff, we spend so much time doing the right thing, saying the right thing, acting reverential, praying, doing all these things. If you're not doing those things while in relationship to Jesus, you're just doing stuff. Amen? And, and God didn't call you to do stuff. God called you to create kingdom change, to grow the kingdom, and you can't do that if you're not part of the kingdom. And so anyway, Cornelius had some issues. Cornelius had made a declaration of faith in Christ Jesus, which is the necessary requirement for salvation, according to Ephesians 2.8. It's by faith and through grace that we are saved. Amen? So he did have faith in Jesus. But it's not because Cornelius didn't want to have faith in Jesus. He just hadn't heard the message of Jesus. So... God's right on time. Did y'all know that? At the same time, it says he is this. He's praying and God shows up, or not God, an angel shows up and says, your petitions I've heard. Your prayer requests I've heard. And I'm going to answer your, your prayer request. So apparently Cornelius was asking for some revelation. God, tell me who you are. Show me more of yourself. All these things that we should be asking ourselves all the time. He said, your prayers have come as a memorial unto me, and I'm going to answer them. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to send for Peter. He's in Joppa down by the, down by the water. Now, Here's a second smaller truth. God's always on time. It's interesting to me that the exact moment that Cornelius had a need for revelation, Peter was getting a revelation to meet that need. Yes. So this is what is happening. At the exact same time, it says that around noon, Peter goes up to the rooftop. He smells the food preparing for the day. He gets hungry, and he falls into this trance. He has a vision, and in this vision, a sheet's laid down, held up by all four corners, and is placed on the ground, and every kind of animal imaginable is, is on this thing available to eat, and the Lord says, take it and eat it, and Peter says, no, I'm not going to eat that. That's unclean. Never have I taken anything unclean into my mouth. God told him again. He said, no. God told him a third time, and he didn't say no. God had to tell him three times, just do what I say. I'm telling you right now, nothing that I have made clean shall you call unclean. Let me tell you why that's important. It's not about the food that's on that sheet. It was never about the food that was on that sheet. It was about God preparing Peter's heart to receive this centurion, this Gentile, this people that he was unwilling to talk to because he considered them unclean prior to this so that they might know the gospel message too. Amen. 
Let me tell you, if you'll pray, if you'll seek after God, God will reveal himself to you. He will bring someone to you to show you, or he will, through your spirit, tell you, or he'll read it, or you'll read something in your word that will convince you and show you that truth. But you have to pursue God. And in your pursuit of God, he will reveal a greater understanding to you that might actually bring you to a point of salvation. The whole point of this might actually bring someone else to a point of salvation through you. Amen? Man, I'm getting excited. I like this sermon already. And so he he does that. Three, as he's having this, let me tell you how, how on time he is. Peter's having this vision. He comes down off of the roof and three men knock on the door. Two servants and the centurion's first-hand man. And so he answers the door and he says, Cornelius sent us to you and asked you to bring us back, bring you back to him and to hear whatever it is you have to tell him. That God, through an angel, showed himself to him and says, go get him, will you come with us? This is the exact same time that Peter is amazed and pondering what the vision meant. Let me tell you, if God says that which is unclean is no longer unclean, but I've made it clean, and then three people that you consider to be unclean show up at your door at the exact same moment, it's pretty easy jump to go, oh, that's what God's talking about. Peter went from amazement to confirmation and from confirmation to action, and so should we. Amen? And so he, he says that he went with them without fear of what may happen. God, that is so good, man. I love this story because we usually, typically hear Acts chapter 10 preached about in the first half, which I just told you about, or the second half that I'm about to tell you about. But we need to understand that it is a contextual story of the on-time favor, love, mercy, kindness of God so that we might know who Jesus is. So here's the teaching. Acts 34 through 45, and I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'll break it into its pieces. He says, opening his mouth, Peter shows up at Cornelius' house in 32 and 33. In 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea. This is Peter talking to the house of Cornelius, not just the house of Cornelius, but Cornelius invited all his friends and all the people that he knew to come listen. Starting from Galilee after the baptism, which John proclaimed, verse 38, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He doesn't mean no is in in relationship with him. He's saying, listen, you've heard of the reputation of Christ Jesus. I'm going to get back to that in a minute. Verse 39, he says, we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up in the third day and granted that he become visible 
not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one, capital O, who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness, though through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking, These words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. All the circumcised, that means all the Jews, the believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Kenny, what's he saying about baptism? He's saying, surely nobody can tell me that the Gentiles, because I I see the evidence of it, that they aren't called also the family of God. You know, that's the purpose of baptism, right? So that we can acknowledge that we're family of God and hold our responsi- ourselves responsible to ensure our family acts right. So Peter's saying, listen, they're speaking in tongues. They believed. Let's baptize them. They are now of the house of God. How did we get from where they started to here? There's four truths that cause them to get from where they are, where they were to where we are. The first one is the truth. Is the truth is God isn't partial. 34 through 37, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Christ Jesus, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place through all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. God isn't partial. Let me explain. He's perfect in everything that he does. Do you hear me? He's perfect in his love. He's perfect in his mercy. He's perfect in his power. He's perfect in his knowledge. Every attribute God does, he is absolutely perfect in. But today, in order to keep it in reference to and in context to what we're talking about, he's perfect in his justice. He's not showing partiality because he's perfect in his justice. Perfect justice means there must be the same punishment for the same crime. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you acted like. It doesn't matter what you smell like. It doesn't matter what part of town you came from. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. Justice me is needs to be meted out impartially. Otherwise, it's biased and imperfect. So what is justice? What does perfect justice require? A guilty verdict for us. Because the Bible says that we are judged already. And because we are judged already, unholy, unrighteous, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, we deserve death. But this is the thing. 
We are unrighteous by birth and action, according to Romans 3.23. All men deserve judgment, according to John 3.17-18. through 18. There is, We are at enmity with God, in Romans 8.7, and have our minds set on the flesh, deserving death, according to Romans 8.6. God said death would result from sin, so guess what? Because he is perfect and he can't lie, death had to happen because of sin. And even if you didn't sin in this life, there is sin in you from birth. But let me tell you, the Bible says if you say you are you have no sin, you are a liar, and the love of God is not in you. So not only are you born into sin, you've committed sin, you've probably committed some kind of sin this week. All of us deserve judgment except for the grace of God. The truth of the matter that God isn't partial to us. Whew. So how does he get around? If there's a get around, his justice. Why didn't we die? Why didn't we get what we deserve? Because of the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, there was a sacrificial system that if you gave a sacrifice, the proper sacrifice at the proper time, your sin was pushed forward to be dealt with again later and another sacrifice to push forward. It dealt with again and another sacrifice. You could never get rid of it. There just had to be enough death to push that sin forward. Now, that's a, it's a very general generalized assessment of the sacrificial system. But we couldn't do anything with our sin other than to push it forward by being obedient. In the New Testament, though, there was one sacrifice, one perfect sacrifice, one sacrifice that was perfect for all time. This is what Hebrews chapter 10 says, 8 through 12, after saying above, sacrifice and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first, that's Jesus, takes away the first sacrificial system in order to establish the second, which is him, as the sacrifice. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. Every priest standing daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifice which can never take away sin, but, everybody say but, he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of God. You know why he sat down? Wasn't any more work to do. He did all the work that needed to be done on our behalf. You want to know why we didn't get death? Because Jesus was the propitiation for our death. He was the substitution for us on the cross. We deserve the cross, the death, the punishment, the scorning, the, the beating that he took. We deserve the hell that we had coming. But God didn't give us that. You know why? Because he's a God of perfect justice and doesn't show impartiality. But let me tell you, why does that matter to Cornelius? Because Cornelius needs to know, like you need to know, God didn't come to save the Jews only. That's the message. He thought he was good. He served God. He prayed. He, pray, he paid alms. He reverenced him. He did everything that was necessary to be in right relationship with God, except the only thing that was necessary to be in the right relationship with God, which is know Christ Jesus. 
but he didn't even know. But you know what he knows now? He knows that he has the same opportunity for salvation that the Jew has. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first to the who? Jew, and then the Greek. Greek just means Gentile. Some of your translations may say Gentile, in fact. Amen? We need to understand that God hasn't showed us partiality either. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what education level you have. I don't care what addictive background you come from. I don't care what your mom and daddy did to you. I don't care about any of those things. What I care about is that you know that Jesus Christ died for you so that you can be included in his family. Because he didn't see partiality, the church shouldn't see partiality. And when the church shows partiality, we dis we cause them to see an improper reflection of the God that we say is in us. Amen. And we can do better. Amen. This is the true attitude we should have in regarding to though in regard to those who don't know yet. There is neither Jew nor Greek neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no partiality in one. There's unity in one. Amen? Number two, in this, as an impartial judge, the truth is Jesus lived and died for you. So far, all I've told you is God made it available to you. But Jesus lived and died for you according to 38 through 41. It says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth. You've heard his reputation. And certainly as a centurion, he would have heard of the reputation of Jesus. And probably knew some people who had been involved in beating him and crucifying him and all of those things. You know of Jesus, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. <clears throat> First, let's address this. Jesus lived for you. He said, you heard his reputation. Can I tell you he lived for you? Jesus from Nazareth regarding his anointing and power in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, had a life marked with perfection. His life was marked with doing good. I've got several things here. He's fed 4,000 in Matthew 15, 5,000 in Matthew 14. Those aren't, the two, those aren't the same instances. There's two different instances. He turned water into wine in John 5, 21. He brought peace to a storm. He cared for those who rejected him. When the sons of thunder wanted to burn a place to the ground, he said, no, don't burn that place to the ground. He cares about people. He went about doing good. He set the demoniac free. Matter of fact, he traveled across a lake just to meet that one guy set him free, and then travel back across the lake again. You think he doesn't care about you? He spent his whole life doing good to show that he can do good in you. 
his life was marked by healing, not just doing good. He healed 10 lepers in Luke 7, 14. He healed a paralytic in Mark 2, 3. He healed blind Bartimaeus in Luke 18, 35. He healed the blind in Mark 8, 25. He restored a servant's ear in Luke 22, 51. This list is endlessly, seems endless. It is limitless. They tell us that if you wrote down everything that he did. There weren't be enough volumes in all the earth to hold the stuff that he did. And he's as willing to do the same thing for you because he is not impartial. His life, the life that he lived that was full of goodness and power, lived and existed to show you that he is the God that you are waiting upon. Ooh. By his own declaration, this is exactly what he came to do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's Luke 4.18, but it's a quote from Isaiah 61.1. He came out of his time in the desert proclaiming one message that proves all of these truths. The very first thing he says in Matthew as he's coming out of the desert, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know why he had the authority to say that? Because he is everything that he told us that he was in Isaiah, that he proved himself by being what Isaiah described he would be or who Isaiah described he would be because he walked in power, because he walked in good works. It's time the church walks in power and walks in good works so that we can proclaim the same message that he proclaimed, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me tell you, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we've got this message and for whatever reason have decided to hold it partially, not willing to give it away. And we can do better. Can y'all tell I got excited about this sermon today? Secondly, he came to die for you. He just come to live for you. If all he ever did was good works and operated in power, you'd still be going to hell. Because his works can't save you any more than your works can save you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 50 something, says that if he had not died and resurrected, you'd still be in your sin. You know what that means? Still going to hell. Have all the healing you want. Have all the power shown to you you want. Have all the good works done to you you can handle. But you're still going to hell because it took the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus to set you free from the only thing that can still hold you captive, which is death. But now we're not held captive by that because captivity has been set free. Oh, woo! Y'all, I'm about to get excited. Y'all should be excited about that because you were, but now you are. And if you aren't, know that you can be. He was able to do this for us in his death by atonement, redemption, and justification. Now, those are three big Christian words. But let me tell you what atone means. Atone means he paid a price for you. 
because the wages of sin is death. He paid the penalty, the debt of death that was owed over your life. And in atoning, redeemed you, bought you back from the kingdom of darkness and now belonging to the kingdom of heaven. And then justified you which means he removed every mark, every blemish, every sin, every charge against you, but didn't just remove it as though you were exonerated from it, removed it as though you'd never been charged with it in the first place. Some of y'all need to get a hold of that because we're still walking in the mire of who we used to be. God let it go. And in the great words of the the ice princess, let it go, let it go. You just got to let it go, man. Why are you walking in something that God got rid of? He didn't only got rid of it. He didn't just put it in a different file that says you've been exonerated. He took it and burned it, cast it into the sea, placed it behind himself and removed you as far from it as the east is from the west. It's time we start celebrating that I'm not who I used to be. You don't have to be who you are. Number three, the truth is Jesus told us to tell others. Y'all better give back because it's been fun till now. 42 through 43 says this. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. We have been commanded to tell others. Pay attention to the verbiage, y'all. And he has ordered us. How many of you guys are Christians? You show me your hand. You don't show me your hand. I don't care. You either know or you don't know. But let me tell you, if you're a Christian, you've been commanded to do something. You've been given a directive to do something. God has ordered you to do something. And that is so to tell other people about the God that you know. And if you're not, you're in direct rebellion to the God that gave his life for you. People think evangelism, telling the gospel, telling people about the Jesus, the story that you have is somehow extra. Like, I don't have to do that. This is something I add to my Christianity. Let me tell you, it's the only reason God didn't kill you when he saved you, so that you could tell other people so that they might know too. You've been commanded. And if you don't do it, we're in direct rebellion to what God has called us to do. And why wouldn't we? It's the only thing that can set them free. So many people out here like Cornelius, they're chasing after God. They're chasing after a guy. They believe that God might exist. Can I tell you, when I was 16 years old, I was convinced God exist, existed. But I told you before, I didn't get saved until I was 34. You know why? Because I watched people. And I watched the people who said they believed in God not act like they believed in God. And I thought, even if God is God, even if God is real, I don't want to be associated with that. And so when and if I ever decide to acknowledge Jesus, I will later. I'm glad God didn't kill me before I was 34. People need to know. People need to know, and we've been 
commanded to tell them. Romans 10, 14, how will they know? How will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him that they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Can I read this backwards to you without offending your sensitivities? Send a preacher so they can hear. That's you. That's not me. That's you. A proclaimer. If you'll look that word up, that's a proclaimer. Send someone to tell them the message. Send a preacher so they can hear, so that in their hearing they can believe. Because faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing. And in their belief, call on Jesus. And in their calling on Jesus, be saved. Amen? And that's the final truth that I would tell you that the truth is that whoever believes is saved. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, on the previously thought unworthy also. We heard them speaking in tongues. We heard them proclaiming, and they became part of the family of God. Why do I tell the gospel? Because in telling the gospel, people are saved. Because we serve an impartial God. So I would ask you, I would be remiss to not ask you, do you think you're too unclean for God to want you. Because that's what the Gentiles were told. You're not. Jesus Christ died for you. He died so that you could hear and so that you could believe. He died so that you would know that there is no other name under heaven except for the name of Jesus by which you were saved. He died because without his death, your death was certain. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never made a declaration of Jesus, I have told you literally how to find the truth. You have to decide within yourself, what will I do with the truth I now know? And I know that causes some people to be disrupted, but that's all right. Is it not time that we allow the truth to disrupt us? Whether we've never known God or whether we've known God and don't act like we should, let the truth disrupt you that God sent his son Jesus to perfect us and to save us. If you don't know Jesus or you need to get yourself aligned or realigned because you've allowed yourself to drift away, according to the writer of Hebrews, I want to pray for you. 